Uh, so if, you, if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to the book of Exodus chapter 3. The book of Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be spending some time in both uh, chapters 3 and 4 this morning. Um, this is not a part of our, our normal, uh, normal rotation. Pastor Ryan is preaching through the book of Galatians. Uh, so if you're here this morning and you're a visitor and, uh, and you want to hear the, the main, the real guy preach, come back next Sunday. And uh, we'll, we'll be back in the book of Galatians. But that being said, uh, it, it is no coincidence that God directed my heart towards this passage to piggyback somewhat off of Pastor Ryan's challenge at the very end of the service last Sunday. And actually several months ago, he made mention uh, about how a lot of graduation sermons kind of tend to be rah-rah, hey, you're awesome, you're big, you're big stuff, you can go and do a whole bunch of great stuff, uh, you're special, uh, unfortunately graduates, this will not be one of those sermons. Uh, in, and in truth, I've, I've heard quite a few bad ones in my own day. Uh, I distinctly remember one in which I uh, heard a pastor completely destroy the story of David and Goliath, uh, made it all about how the graduates were David, and life was Goliath, and the graduates needed to give life their best shot and maybe they would slay it. So again, this won't be a sermon like that one. Uh, but our, our lives contain an astounding number of choices, and uh, some estimates say that there's upward of 35,000 different decisions that you make in a given day. Now think about the, uh, the difference there would be in history if we or others made different choices. And even the smallest decisions can have the most far-reaching consequences. What happens if the Bightleys don't live here? Well, Caleb's not graduating from our high school. What if the Ackleys decide that they're done having kids after Savannah? Then there'd just be three girls, right? Your parents' family wouldn't be complete. Hey, what if, uh, what if I, 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 I don't end up here? Me ending up at FBC is clearly an act of God's sovereignty. If you want to hear that story, just ask me about it sometime. But every decision that we make has an impact. I think we can all think of a scenario where we heard about a car accident that took place at a, an intersection that we had just driven through, and we think back, oh man, if I would have left two minutes later, I would have been at that intersection. Or if I'd left two minutes earlier, then I would have been at that intersection. Okay, our decisions have eternal consequences. Now, you graduates, you've recently faced the choice, what am I going to do this fall? You're, you've all decided on a college. Some of you have decided on a major. Some of you will probably change your major one, two, maybe even three times. And maybe you'll even change it your final semester of your senior year. I didn't do that. One of my roommates did. Will I keep the same roommate? Is graduate school in the future where am I going to go to church? For the rest of you here, am I going to stay in the same job? How many kids will my spouse and I have? Where am I going to send my kids to school? Am I going to respond to my spouse in a godly way? Am I going to stay in this marriage? Am I going to stay at this church? Do I, do I really want to patiently or impatiently parent my children? Am I going to reduce my hours at work so that I can spend quality time with my family? That hard step that Pastor Ryan challenged you to take last week, you have it in mind? Maybe you need to think about it a little bit more. 
but am I going to take that step, that next step of obedience, or am I going to justify my lack of obedience? Am I going to make excuses for why I don't want to do that thing? Am I going to give a whole bunch of really, really, really good reasons why I shouldn't do the thing that I know that the Lord wants me to do? So keep that in mind as we walk through Exodus chapters 3 and 4. And in these chapters, we, we see very, very well-known story. Moses has, has uh, been, lived in Egypt for 40 years. Now he's lived in the wilderness for 40 years. He's grown up. He's 80 years old. Thinks that he's going to be a shepherd for the rest of his life. He's, he's keeping the flock for his father-in-law, Jethro. And he comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appears to him in a flame of fire in a bush. Hey, we all know this story really, really, really well. And some of you are thinking, ooh, I know exactly where Pastor Stucky's going to go with this. We'll see. He sees that the, the bush is not being consumed. And Moses looks and says, I got to stop and I got to see this. This is crazy. Th this thing is on fire and it's not burning up. So and as he approaches the, the, the non-burning up bush, God calls to him out of the bush and says, Moses, Moses, he says, here I am. Don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And God gives him a task. He gives him a job, the job that he has been preparing him for for 80 years, a, a job that God had set aside for Moses in eternity past. This was always the plan. And God tells Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I care about what's going on. I am concerned about what is happening to my people. And I am going to deliver them. I am going to release them from bondage, and I am going to take them to a good and broad land that's flowing with milk and honey. I've heard their cry. I've seen their oppression. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children, out of Egypt. So there's the task. Moses is going to go, and he's going to talk to Pharaoh and obtain deliverance for his people. I don't think it's any stretch to say that for all of you in this room who are followers of Christ, there is some task that God has called you to. There is some step of obedience that God is directing you to take. And graduates, you're going to have so many steps of obedience in the next couple of months and years. This is part of our human experience. We have choices. We have decisions that we can make. Now, in that moment, Moses could have said, okay, look, this is crazy. This bush is on fire. It's not burning out. It's God that's talking to me. All right, God, what you got for me? And instead, Moses does what all of us often do. He makes excuses and refuses to obey God's commands. He gives God what he thinks are good reasons for why he should not follow what God has asked him to do. And God responds very, very clearly and very, very authoritatively to Moses when he addresses these concerns. I want you to 
to really grasp on to what God's responses look like, okay? So Moses' first excuse, chapter 3, verse 11. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? What Moses is saying is, I'm not good enough. Who am I that I'm supposed to go and do this? Who, who am I that you're, you're picking me and sending me? I'm a shepherd. I live in the wilderness. I killed an Egyptian. I can't go back there. They're going to kill me if I do. I'm not good enough for this job, God. This is a massive undertaking, and I'm supposed to do what? Now, God does not look at Moses and say, yes, Moses, you are good enough. He doesn't say, yes, Moses, you are awesome enough. Yes, Moses, you've been shepherding this flock in the wilderness for 40 years. You are good enough. God never says that. God redirects Moses' attention from himself and his own shortcomings and his own flaws, and he tells Moses, of course you're not good enough, but I am. Of course you're not good enough. I will be with you. Verse 12, God says, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. That's your sign. I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Of course you're not good enough, Moses, but I am. I'm the one that's sending you. I'm good enough. God, God surely does not build up Moses' self-esteem. So graduates, when you find yourself in a situation where you're not good enough, celebrate that. Rest in that, rejoice in that, because God is good enough. For all of us, the task that God has called you to, yeah, you might not be good enough for it, but God is. God is, and he gives you the strength and the wisdom, the ability to do it. Not so that you take pride in what you have done, but so that you turn your attention to God and you rejoice for what he has done. Of course you're not good enough, Moses. I will be with you. His second excuse, verse 13, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What, what shall I say to them? What should I tell them? I'm not smart enough, God. What if I don't have all the answers? What if they ask me a question and I don't know what to say? What if they come to me and ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? God, I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I don't, I don't have the knowledge that I'm going to need to interact with these people. I don't have the street smarts. I've been in Midian for 40 years. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what this Pharaoh is like. I don't know what the leaders of Israel are like. I'm not smart enough to handle them. Doesn't matter whether or not you're smart enough. God tells him, I am smart enough. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent you. 
God also said to Moses, Say to the, this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. Say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met us. And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. When you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Go. Tell them that I am has sent you. Doesn't matter whether or not you're smart enough. I see what's happening. I'm going to deliver your pe my people. I've heard their cries. I care about their suffering. You and the elders need to go to Pharaoh. You need to ask him for the opportunity to go and worship in the wilderness. And then my mighty hand is going to compel Pharaoh to let you go. And as you leave the land, the Egyptians are going to fund your exit. They are going to provide for all of your needs. God is telling Moses, of course you're not smart enough. Here's my plan. Here's what I intend to do. Here is how I am going to deliver my children from Egypt. Brothers and sisters, of course we are not smart enough. Of course we're not smart enough. But God is smart enough. God knows exactly, graduates, what the steps of your life are going to be. He knows what job you're going to have, what your GPA in college is going to be, all your roommates, what all your sporting events are going to be like, what all your extracurricular events are going to be like, your, your church family in college, the people that you're going to connect with. God has that all laid out. And he knows every single step that you're going to take. Friends, same for you. God has all of that organized and orchestrated and planned out. He is smart enough to know what your future is and needs to be. And you are not. God is. We are not. And we need to rest in that. We need to trust. We need to obey. Moses' third excuse. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. God, they're, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me. I can't do this job because they won't do what you're telling me to tell them to do. I'm not convincing enough. The Lord says, what is that in your hand? God gives Moses some signs. Here, Moses. They're definitely going to believe you when you do this. And he gives them some signs to perform. What, what's that in your hand? Verse 2 of chapter 4. 
Moses said, what's a staff? God told Moses, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. Anybody in here afraid of snakes? Okay, so there's quite a few people in here that are, uh, that are afraid of snakes. Um, when you are a youth pastor or a youth pastor's wife, um, when young people find out things that you either don't like or are afraid of, they're going to fixate on that. And they're also, if you leave your phone unattended, or your youth pastor's wife leaves her phone unattended, they're going to get a hold of it, and they're going to do stuff with it. Now, I, I, ha- I have a video clip. We're going to see if it's going to work. But I'll just, I'll just warn you high schoolers that before you do something with mine or Joy's phone, just remember that it might come back to bite you a little bit. Oh, and Cohen's here too. Even better. All right, you think you can play that, Dave? So, uh, so quite, quite early on in our trip out to Montana a couple summers ago, yes, the one that I showed up too late for, um, Parker and Caleb found out that Joy was afraid of snakes, and that was something that we heard all week long. And of course, when they got a hold of her phone, it's time to make fun of her some more. She's deathly afraid of snakes. Some of the rest of you are deathly afraid of snakes. Moses was deathly afraid of a snake. And when his staff became a serpent, Moses ran from it. The Lord said to Moses, put out your hand, catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. He put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. God, I am not convincing enough. I, I can't go and I can't, I can't talk to these people and, and say the right things that is going to sway their opinion to do what they know you want me to call them to do. I am not convincing enough, God. And again, God doesn't say, yes, Moses, you are. You're very convincing. You are good enough. You are smart enough. He doesn't say that. He, he says, here's some miracles. Of course you're not convincing. So that they will believe you, here's some signs. Moses is not good enough. He's not smart enough. And he's not convincing enough. Each step of the way, God directs Moses' attention back onto God himself. Moses, I'm going to sustain you. Moses, I'm going to give you the wisdom. Moses, I'm going to give you the strength. 
Moses' next excuse, verse 10 of chapter 4. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. God, I just don't know how to talk good. That's kind of what Moses is doing. Making an excuse for why he doesn't want to speak up. Well, God, you want me to go and you want me to say all these things, but I can't talk. I, I don't talk good. I don't talk well. God doesn't tell Moses that, yes, you're charismatic. He doesn't tell Moses that, yes, your reasoning and your logic are sound. Or, yes, people just love you and they want to follow you. There, there is none of that. God directs Moses' attention back onto God himself. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I the Lord. Who has given mankind the power for speech? It's me. Who has given mankind the ability to do anything? It's me. Not you, Moses. Verse 12, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. I'm going to be with you, Moses. I'm going to give you the words to say. I'm going to help your tone of voice when you're speaking. I'm going to give you wisdom so that you know how to respond when people say something back to you, when you go to them and say, hey, this is what's going to happen. Again, God directs Moses' attention back onto God himself. Not once has God sung the praises of Moses. He hasn't even come close to it. If anything, he has further reminded Moses of his inadequacy and his shortcomings. And pushed Moses to the source that he needs for all of that. Young people, brothers and sisters here in the room, we will all find ourselves in a scenario where we continue to make excuses. I don't want to do this because it's too hard. I don't want to do this because it's too tired. I don't want to reconcile this relationship with that person because they don't want to reconcile it with me. I don't want to speak kindly to my wife or to my children because my wife doesn't speak kindly to me or my ch and my children don't obey me. I don't want to work less hours because that means that I have to go home and I have to put in the hard work of being a husband and a father. And the list goes on. I make plenty of excuses at 5, 5.15, 5.30 in the morning when it comes time to get up and spend time in the Word. I just need a couple, a couple more minutes of sleep and I'll be able to serve the Lord better today. We all come up with excuse after excuse after excuse for why we don't want to step out and take the next right step of obedience. Hey, we're all very, very, very good at it. And we're all very good at making our excuses sound like justified, well-thought-out, sound reasons. And finally, we get to Moses' final excuse. He said, verse 13 of chapter 4, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Please send someone else. Lord, I just don't want to do it. 
I just don't want to do it. Send somebody else. And you parents see this progression in your children, especially when they're younger. When you instruct your young child to do something, you'll get a, 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 a long list of excuses. Uh, one that I heard about eating macaroni and cheese was, I'm allergic to cold macaroni and cheese. I won't tell you which kid. I'm allergic to cold macaroni and cheese. But really what it comes down to is a lack of willingness to obey. Lord, I just don't want to do it. The anger of the Lord is kindled against Moses for his continued excuses and his refusal. But I want you to, to note something here. When God responds, we, we think that God is responding to Moses out of anger and saying, fine, I'm going to use somebody else. But I don't think that that's what's going on here. Verse 14, the, Lord, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Yes, God is angry with Moses for Moses' continued refusal. But the tone that, that, God's, that God speaks to Moses when he's pointing out his brother is more one of kindness, of grace, and mercy. Okay, Moses, you don't want to do it. Here's your brother. And they've been apart for 40 years, but God says he, he will be glad in his heart. I think of my own reunion, reunions with my own little brother, and it's always one of joy, no matter how long we've been apart. It's always fun to see my brother. It's always enjoyable to be around him. Moses, here comes your brother. You don't want to do it? Well, I'm going to give you somebody that is going to walk alongside you. I'm going to give you somebody that can share the burden with you. But as we read the book of Exodus what we see is that Moses does in fact do what God has called him to do. Moses does in fact step up into this leadership that position that God has set aside for him. But God lovingly and kindly, mercifully and graciously does that through Moses' brother, Aaron. And in the progression of Exodus, we see Moses stepping up more and more into that leadership position and Aaron fading more and more into the background. This is what this was all building towards. God has called Moses to a task that he ultimately refuses to do. But then God in his kindness and his mercy says, yeah, you can't do it. You can't do it. I can do it. I'm smart enough. I'm good enough. I'm wise enough. I'm articulate enough. I'm convincing enough. But here's your brother to walk alongside you. Can you see the gospel picture there? That, that when Moses was, was not enough, when he knew that he wasn't enough, God directs Moses', Moses attention back onto himself and says, of course you're not good enough, but I am good enough, and I'm going to send somebody. 
I'm going to send a man to walk alongside of you. I'm going to send somebody to strengthen you. I'm going to send somebody to partner with you. Now, of course, Aaron is not Christ. But that is exactly what you have, young people. That is exactly what you have, church. In all the series of difficult decisions that are in front of you, God does not leave you to yourself. In every scenario, God wants our attention to be directed to him so that we can say, yes, you are enough, God. That you can, and you, you, are, you can do these things. You are faithful to do these things. You can bring me through this challenging time. You can help me to make this difficult decision. You can help me to do the right thing, even when nobody else is. And we get those scenarios at work, don't we? We get those scenarios in our own families. You know what? We even get those scenarios right inside this church. Where we're given a responsibility to do something and we just want to flat out refuse. God is calling us to obedience. And you might might be sitting here right now thinking, wow, Pastor Stuckey, that was a really discouraging sermon. And if that's the case, then I've either dropped the ball as a preacher or you've not quite heard the point that I'm trying to get across. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, apart from Christ and apart from the image of God in us, nobody in here is all that special. We need to have that reminder, that dose of humility. Nobody in here, apart from Christ, is anything special. And even the the brightest, the wisest, the strongest, the smartest, the most athletic, the most charismatic, the most skilled of us owe every single bit of that to God himself. The the things that you're going to do, graduates, in the next four, five, six years and in the rest of your lives, are only possible because of the work of God in your lives. The things that God is going to call you to do, the things that God is going to call all of us to do, some of them are going to be easy. Some of those things are going to be really, really, really hard. Some decisions we're going to be called to make are going to be confusing. Some, the path forward will be really, really clear. Some decisions are going to be filled with great joy. And some decisions are going to be marked by deep, deep, deep sadness. Young men, young women, brothers and sisters here this morning, those of you that are listening online or in the overflow, God is going to ask you to do a number of very challenging and difficult things. Obedience is going to be very, very, very hard sometimes. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of Moses is with you every step of the way. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He never takes a moment off. His hand never slips on the steering wheel. He's never distracted by anything. He's never disheartened by anything. 
His attention is always and completely on each and every one of us. He doesn't have to divide himself so that he can keep track of everything that's going on. He has his eye on every single one of the human beings alive on earth today. And there are so many times that we can sit and make excuses for why we don't want to do this or that. If this person gets their act together, then I'll be there. Then I'll talk to them. Friends, in all of the justifications that we make for why we don't do certain things, isn't it the grace of God that he doesn't look at you and he doesn't look at me and say, all right, when Stucky gets his act together, then, then I'll step in and then I'll do something. It is God's grace, pure and simple, undeserved, unmerited, in which God looks at the the most vile of sinners and says, I love that person and I want that person for my family. I have used this illustration with our high schoolers and middle schoolers sometimes and they struggle with it. But even Adolf Hitler, as evil and wicked as he was, was loved by God. And the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. God, is, God does not desire that anybody would die, but that all would come to faith in Christ. God desired that for even the most wicked of individuals. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. It's God's grace that he does not look at us and say, when they get X, Y, and Z in order, then it's time for me to go to work. He reaches us and is with us even in the depths of our sin and our disobedience and is there to strengthen us to do what is right, to follow his commands, and to walk in obedience. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you all with, uh, with this story. So there's once a, a man that was uh, asked to do something uh, rid- ridiculously hard. Harder than you can possibly imagine. All of his hard work has, has led him up to this particular point. All of the exhausting days, the late nights, the, the fighting amongst the people that he was trying to lead, the days with no food, the deep opposition from the very people that he was trying to help. And I'm speaking, of course, about the Lord Jesus Christ who, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, looking ahead to the death that was part of the Father's plan, Jesus did not try to psych himself up. He didn't say, Peter, James, and John, I need you guys to ramp me up here. I need you to tell me how awesome I am. I need you to tell me how special I am. I need you to tell me how strong I am. Jesus does not do this. His reaction is one of intense fear and anxiety about what's about to take place. Hey, Christ did something that we cannot even fathom. More difficult than we could ever possibly imagine. And we get a view into what the pressure and the stress was like for him as he is looking ahead to his crucifixion on the cross. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he pours out his heart to his Father. And he says, 
if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. If I don't have to go through this, Father, don't allow me to go through this. Yet not my will, but thine be done. Hey, in the deepest, darkest, most challenging point of Jesus' human life, he leans into the Father for comfort. He leans into the Spirit for comfort. He trusts God's infinite plan for all of eternity past. Yet not my will be done, but thine. The ultimate act of obedience. Hey, if Christ did that as the ultimate act of obedience, why is our obedience so hard? Rhetorical question, of course, because I can come up with a number of reasons why obedience is so hard. Look to the example of the Lord Jesus when the hard times come, young people. He went away to lonely places to pray. He sought fellowship with his Father. He sought comfort from the Spirit. Know that while you are not good enough, He is. He is going to help you to complete the tasks that He has set before you. Graduates, I asked Pastor Ryan if this got any, any less challenging. He said no, it just gets harder. So um, I'm, I'm very, very proud of each and every one of you. And uh, very, very encouraged um, by, the, by the growth that I've seen. Very, very heartened by what God is doing in your lives even now. And uh, really, really, really looking forward to seeing what God is going to do in your lives, how he's going to use you, and where he's going to plant you. Let's close in prayer. The worship team, come on up. Father, thank you for the word of God. We thank you that in our inadequacies that you are strong. That even our strengths are uh, solely and completely from you. That you give us the ability to obey you, you. You give us the commands. And in order to walk in obedience, you have equipped us to do that. You are good enough. You are smart enough. You are strong enough and wise enough. And we are not. I pray that you be with these graduates. Be with this church. Help us to walk in obedience. God, help us to take the next right step. Help us to not be afraid. Help us to not be proud. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.